Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are breaking through Disney's The Little Mermaid, one minute at a time. I'm Kestra Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are again joined by Joe Dorowski from the Protagonist Podcast. Thank you for having me on again. And family. Yes. <laughs> and family, yes. He, he is also from family. <laughs> <laughs> from, yes. <laughs> today we are discussing Minute 27, which begins with Max licking Eric's face. With a lot of slobber. I had a note about dog slobber. It's a lot of slobber. Uh, it ends with Ariel singing part of your world as the waves crash onto the... Or break. Or break. Ah, have you uh, been listening uh, to the opening uh, of this week? Break onto the rock that she is... Perched upon? Perched, yeah. Yeah. And scuttle. You can't say sitting. No, not sitting. And she's not... I mean... And what's that leading? yoga pose? Oh, uh, um... Uh, the is it like the down. sun greeting or something? It's not downward dog. No, downward dog. That's, that's downward what your butt the, up the in the air. She's doing then... yoga on the rock. Yes, <laughs> she's she. It, it's her body is otherwise flat except at her waist. She begins to bend upward as she pushes both arms firmly, directly up. I'm looking up yoga poses. We are talking about. I feel like it's the so sun, 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 sun greeting or up something. Up dog or cobra. Oh. oh. And I don't know what I was thinking of. Up dog or cobra. I, I think cobra is how I've heard that one before. What's up dog? <laughs> 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 up dog is the position where you're <laughs> I can resist that one. I'm sorry. No, that was bad of me. <clears throat> Scuttle is also flying across the screen as at the end of this minute. And minute 27 of The Little Mermaid features Grimsby and Max finding Eric on the beach. Eric telling Grimsby about a girl who rescued him. Sebastian saying that they will keep this a secret from the king. And Ariel finishing singing about being part of, about wanting to be part of Eric's world. Mm -hmm. So Max's tongue is way too big in this minute. Like, this is a different animator on Max, I'm sure of it. One, because we see Max's eyes a bunch and they are a little bit off-putting for dog eyes. And, like, the tongue is just crazy big. So big. And so wet. Yeah. So wet. A lot of care was put into that dog slobber. It was very difficult for them to animate Max. Yeah. So a lot of care went into Max, always. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's... A lot of it had to do with color, with, uh -huh. with his gray color, kind of... Consistency of gray is mm -hmm. always a pain. But, but animating a dog is also a little bit trickier. Yeah. So, Grimsby and Max come up. Grimsby's clothes are also torn at this point. He was on the lifeboat. I mean, he did land in the, the water, water. briefly. We should have gone back and checked when yeah. Max, or when Eric pulled him into the boat. But I don't think, I don't think he had... I think he was fine. Yeah. He I... still has his shoes and socks. But there's some tears. But there are tears in his pants, and his socks are falling down his calf. <laughs> He does not have a calf. I have a question about how his, <laughs> his, his, how his, his legs... The back of his shin. <laughs> how do his legs support that body? <laughs> this is a magical world. Okay. <laughs> we, but, we, but we have a world with mermaids. You get a man with stick legs. But also speaking about 
like health for Grimsby. Mm-hmm. He mentions blood pressure, which I didn't know. Does, when... he, does he call it uh, satanic spikes in his blood pressure? Something like that. <laughs> I don't know exactly, but I did have to look up sadistic spikes in his blood pressure. That's yes, that it. that that was Eric it. likes to cause sadistic spikes in his blood pressure. Uh, but I did have to look up to make sure when blood, blood pressure, pressure was first measured, and... and it was it was by an English clergyman named. Stephen Hales, who first published the first measurement of blood pressure in 1733, but it was then called force of blood, not blood pressure. So it, hopefully force it would have been... Force of blood, I like that. So it would have possibly been... But then it sounds like if you have more, that's a good thing. And you want high blood pressure to not sound so good. Only if you're really into, like, very masculine. <laughs> and, then, and then they started talking about... Like high blood pressure being bad in 1830s. Okay, which is where when is we're the set that we figured It's out. been very difficult to pinpoint, and it's um, rough. But we are settling in in the earlier of the mid 1800s. So 1830s tracks. There was a bust of Abraham Lincoln in our collection earlier, so that would have to put it squarely. At, I mean, I guess somebody could have made a bust of him when he was still a senator. But unlikely. So it would have put it into the, probably the 1870s. Yeah. But we feel a little bit better about earlier 1800s. But possibly as late as like 1870s, 1880s. Just there could have been a time portal and that's where the bust of Abraham Lincoln comes in. <laughs> yes. There could have been. <laughs> this is a magical world. Um, I never noticed the bust of Abraham Lincoln. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's hidden. It's, it's like an it's, Easter egg thing. It's an Easter, now, it really is not, hard to see. Her collection is not littered with Easter eggs like it would be if today. this were made today. Now, do you think the Abraham Lincoln bust was in there because Walt Disney famously loved Abraham Lincoln and had the animatronic Abraham Lincoln? Um, I'm not perhaps. sure, but perhaps. Yeah. But he wasn't alive when this was filmed. Yeah, but so. little honoring of... But it, it could have been... A, that's as good a reason as any. Right. Um, or Time Portal. Yes, could be another time, time, por- por- time portal. Uh, so, Eric or Grimsby also says that Eric must have swallowed too much seawater, as Eric is kind of rambling about a girl who saved me and everything. And I guess Grimsby thinks it's more conceivable that he washed up safely on shore, um, and that someone helped him. Yes, and he says, "I think you must have swallowed too much seawater." Does swallowing seawater contribute to confusion? It's a famous hallucinogen. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not. But okay, he he sees Eric washed up on the beach, alive, above alive, tide line, above tide line. Well, but, or at least above what might be a low tide line. The tide line may have been. It may have been right, a higher tide earlier. Right. But if he was, if if he was unconscious, he he could have been face down. He could, one could have been face down to his pants with the coral. Like he would have probably gotten stuck, kind of yeah, more if, out if, of if, in the water. I don't know. Water. Grimsby's clothes are messed up too, so maybe he's just like ah, shipwreck clothes. <laughs> but his the coral's right there, so for right. him to get there on the beach, it, it, it may have yeah. held him under. Yeah, is what you're saying. Well, but then the pants tore, and he and he and the waves carried him away. As they do. I think all we all just want to say, there's no real reason for Grimsby's disbelief. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's what he's doing. (laughs) Because he doesn't see a girl right then. Yeah. He's being dismissive in a weird way. But 
he also he he's also calling Eric's name, and he's like Eric. Oh, like he's not. He doesn't seem so surprised that Eric is washed up on the shore. Eric was on the boat when it exploded. Yes, <laughs> like that ship burst into flames and fire and explosions. I just can't wait to hear you guys talk about the statue that Grimsby had made of Eric. <laughs> <laughs> we discuss it. I, oh, I know, I know. So just because. Uh, Kestra's do. Yeah, we're recording a ton before any are released, so oh, I haven't yes. heard any of your previous discussion yeah, before we these minutes. Anything at this Whereas point. when we did Snow White Minute, I had heard a bunch of Snow White discussion. Yeah. I knew kind of what had been covered. But when I saw that statue, I'm like, oh, they're going to have a lot to say about that. <laughs> we, we had a few things to, yeah. to mention about... Uh, and then we'll mention it more later when it comes back. Yeah. Yes. And I also want to hear your discussion of how it breaks, because it breaks in the perfect way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we get, for me, like the first um, presence of some of the, the well, I guess we had uh, we had uh, Scuttle last time, but we have Flounder and... And, and Sebastian, Sebastian had washed up, but they hadn't done yeah. any interacting. So we get, which it was, they washed up improbably in that environment. <laughs> right. Like the, the water coming forward, and then they're just like, there. You know, when we talked about uh, Ariel's breathing, we really also need to address Flounder's breathing, because he spends a lot of time on the surface. But he doesn't spend a lot of time out of the water. I yeah. think he's, he's... Maybe his gills are a are lot low. farther mm-hmm. low. Or, okay. low. Um, or oh. he he kind of dunks under enough. Or perhaps this is just a cartoon. What? <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, but I want to say, as I was re-watching Little Mermaid, it had probably been 15 years, at least, since, since, like, since I'd seen it. Yeah, this came out when I was a kid. We had it on VHS. I saw it a lot then, but I haven't rewatched it in, in over a decade. 100% for sure, at least that long. And a couple things stood out to me. One was, it felt like the comedic sidekicks were more prominent in this than in other Disney films, um, or at least there was more time devoted to them. Like I, I, I'm not saying there are not comedic sidekicks and others. Obviously, Timon and Pumbaa, and you yeah. know the gargoyles. And I mean, sorry. I'd say these are more, much more scuttle more... or more of. Or it of just felt like there's more time... Sebastian and Flander. and Flander. like there were more of them, and there's more having time spent a, with them. Like a trio, and like the balance stuff. of time spent with them and their antics felt higher than I remembered. Which I, I don't mind. I like yeah. it, but um... but it, it it makes it feel for me like a little bit like the recipe of the Disney Renaissance isn't quite fully formed. What would you say is um, your like a prime example of like oh this is the correct amount or or the amount that I would say is is recipe. I mean, I'd say prime Disney Renaissance is probably uh, Lion King, and that's you know Timon, Timon and Pumbaa Puma. come in late. Okay, they have their, so they have their their key moments. Would you say in Beauty and the Beast they're also maybe a little too heavy Lumiere and Cogsworth and Chip and Mrs. Potts? But they're oh no, because Chip and Mrs. More, Potts are more more dramatic. Like, these are all yeah for for Beauty and the Beast I'd say they are more straight up characters mm-hmm, exactly, and, and the same in this one. Whereas Timon and Pumbaa definitely sidekicks. Yeah. Scuttle is more of the one that Scuttle's the sidekick. He's he's the sidekick. Yeah, there's no character arc. There's no motivation really. He's there to make Flounder's quite a bit sidekick. Sebastian's full on character in this one. But also with Scuttle, I mean, he was voiced by Buddy uh, Hackett and uh, he was also inspired, like his inspiration for the character himself is of Buddy Hackett. So it's more of a cameo of a comedian. The other thing, and I haven't rewatched very many Disney Renaissance films either, but I was surprised how wall-to-wall the scoring seemed to be. Oh, it's... I think we've had less than one full minute of with non-score. And it feels Alan like... Menken, Alan Menken won the Academy Award yeah. for this. Oh, I, I, I love this music, but it just felt, again, not quite like a Disney Renaissance film to me. And I'm wondering if the other ones are there longer stretches without scoring. I would, I would think so, or more simplified scoring. This yeah. is a, a there's a lot of Mickey thorough, Mousing in them. This in is the a scoring. very thorough scoring. Yeah. Well, they were trying to go back to 
the original ways in a Snow lot White of style. Snow White style in a lot of ways, and one of that was with Mickey Mousing a lot more and uh-huh. and more. Of... And I think we get a Mickey Mouse one when doesn't uh, Sebastian drop his jaw in this moment, and yeah, the music and accompanies like, the well, which it's like, oh, is that a musical cue or is that a sound effect? I'm not yeah. sure. And that's where you really know you're in Mickey Mousey territory. Yeah, uh-huh. right. Is when you don't know if it's sound effect or music. Mm-hmm. But and then, like I said yesterday, the 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 music was really formed with the film. So they had, they were storyboarding the film and they had the composer and lyricist and like everyone there working with the film, trying to make sure that everything was connected, especially Mm -hmm. with the orchestration. And I mean, Alan Menken felt like he was not suited for this job, but I think he's very suited for this job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He got, got Two Academy Awards credited right. to his name for yeah. this. Like, I, Kester hasn't revealed to me which song won the best original song or category. the other one that was nominated. Yes, two two of the so there's four big songs in right. this movie, and two were nominated I think for the I Academy know. Award at the same time. And and he won, and and they were nominated for score. He won score, which is just right. the, yeah. the music overall, and then they won. Against themselves for for the song, which I don't know what they were up against. I want to guess the nominations. Year. Can she confirm at least this in this minute? Um, the nominations. I, I think you didn't. I didn't confirm. You didn't confirm for me, but obviously it's there's only four. So the nomina- I'm going to guess the nominators are part of your world and uh, under the sea. Those were it, the ones that you said. What did you say that was that one? I. I guessed that part of your world just just like '90s Oscars. That feels like the ballad they'd give. Yeah, like that. This is only a few years away from um, uh, Celine Dion in Titanic. Yeah. Well, since so did my guess line up perfectly with yours, Andrew? I think so. Did you write it down? Um, I didn't write it down, but I'm almost certain that's yeah, what you said. Because I think, well, I think "Poor Unfortunate Souls" and "Kiss the Girl," I think fall into the category with "Under the Sea" of slightly more enjoyable than "Part of Your World." That doesn't necessarily mean that they are the better songs. Mm-hmm. Well, with this being the end of part of your world, you can reveal to us the if it what was part me. of your world experience, whether it was nominated and whether it won, right? Yes. Okay, tell us about part of your world. It was not nominated. What? So for therefore, it the did Globe, not win. It was not nominated for Golden Globe oh. or the Oscar. Wow. Okay, I was wrong. I'm surprised because and there were two songs nominated for the Golden Globe and the Oscar. So they so the same two songs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now it's definitely between... under the sea. Now, it, yeah, one of them's got to be under the sea, which we'll find out um, at basically the end of next week, yeah. I think. Because Kiss the Girl and Poor Unfortunate Souls aren't nearly as strong as Under the Sea. Under the Sea mm-hmm. is an absolute, like, it's an absolute showstopper. Yeah, it, it's the, uh, like, that is part of the Jazeera, where they do the showstopping numbers, you know, the <laughs> well, Be Our Guest. And, and... Like, we've talked about, about this, but, like, Little Mermaid, for being the first one in the Disney Renaissance, is not the example that they followed, because... It has, you know, four like all four of those songs in the right circumstances are showstoppers mm-hmm. in their own in their own way. And then we're gonna talk about um, another showstopper kind of number could've. that could have been. Yeah, there. for the Broadway show, uh, we'll talk about the this week. There's there's an additional song which like in, in the right circumstances on, on the Broadway show, that's its own showstopper. So it's up to five mm-hmm. in a Broadway performance, which is an inordinate number of big songs of that caliber yeah. uh, in a single production with like beauty and the beast really have beauty and the beast you have beauty and the beast probably be our guest the mob song certainly not 
Gaston, no, Gaston Bell, is not a, no. a showstopper. So you're at like two. Um, Lion King. I mean, the opening song can't really be a showstopper on its own. I mean, they, they do it differently for Lion King. Like, they're changing yeah. the formula a bit. With yeah, and the, the tone of all the songs, like, you don't need the... But like, Aladdin has, as, like, as, Ali, has Robin Williams going full on. For all of his songs. <laughs> yes. And so I'd say for Aladdin, they're at maybe two yeah. um, as well. But yeah, Lion King kind of tones it down. Hunchback tones it down as well. And through the rest of the run. Tarzan is a different piece. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a different kind yeah. of musical. Um, so... This one really, like, set a very high bar that they didn't, I think, really want to try and reach. Because, like, if we really try, we're not going to make it. And so we should just try to adjust and do our own thing for Beauty and the Beast and um, Aladdin and and Lion King moving forward. So they, I mean, they did an amazing job on this one as the the opening to the You you have not mentioned once about Pocahontas' show-stopping numbers, Andrew. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Um, I can tell you. There's that, that one song. We did no. not have... Uh, so I've been listening to a lot of Disney um, soundtracks lately, because I, I was listening to Little Mermaid a lot, and then I stopped, because I needed a break. Um, Alan Menken did the music for pretty much all of them through the early Renaissance, um, including Pocahontas. And he didn't feel like he was the right person? Come on, Alan. <laughs> well, at least for Little no. Mermaid, which is the one that he was... Believe in yourself, man. Yeah. <laughs> For. Yeah, um, just two Academy Awards in the first one. <laughs> um, oh, but, and then and then the same the same nominations and wins for several other yeah like upcoming he's, he's got a collection shows. of trophies. Yeah, he's one of those that has the wall yeah. for his awards. <laughs> um, not, it, it was, not, a, not a mantelpiece end, you know. And, <laughs> hey, there's my award. Yeah. The so in um, in Pocahontas, he was working with a different lyricist because Howard Ashman had died at that point. He was working with. Uh, Stephen Schwartz, who we also worked with on Hunchback of Notre Dame. But for Pocahontas, in the song Savages, one of the final lines, one of the final lyrics sung by the chorus, not sung by Judy Kuhn as Pocahontas, because uh, she's doing kind of, it, towards the end, she's doing like a main part, and then there's a chorus doing this, this uh-huh. under uh, uh, undercurrent stuff. Um, one of the very final lines that you see, or that you hear, is, now you see what comes from trying to be chums. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, that one doesn't hold up that, so good. That's not a strong, strong <laughs> moment like they, in, they in had, writing. They had earlier very strong ones, very intense things that I I don't feel inclined to just say. <laughs> just start yelling out some <laughs> yeah, of the... But, um, <laughs> but it's like very strong lyrics throughout a lot of it. Um, and Now you see what comes. From trying to be chums. And it's right at the end, too. It's like the last lyric I, I just unique. I just wish there was a shark in this minute of Little Mermaid to help us transition <laughs> back from chums. Back into chums. But yeah, it's like, like, Little Mermaid, like, credit words, too, really did a good job yeah. with this stuff. Oh, what I'm saying, like, there's these things that don't feel quite like what I remember Disney Renaissance being. I'm not saying this is wrong in any way. Like, right. Little Mermaid obviously relaunched Disney animation into it, the it, heights. It, it saved it again, because they were yeah. going to close the studio, probably. Yeah. Uh, and, and it did an amazing job, and it deserves all the praise that it gets. It just, some parts surprised me, like, again, that this wall-to-wall this scoring, quite the, same. The, the overabundance of the, the quirky yeah. the sidekick Would characters. Say, um, Lion King feels the most... Yeah, I think like, that, that's the that is. I mean, for me, essential. It's kind of like the trilogy of what is the Renaissance. It's Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, and Aladdin. Those three, not in that order, right? Reverse. Okay. But those three are like for me, like oh wow, like Disney can do no wrong. Yeah, <laughs> when you've got uh, that, those coming, that's a very strong sequence. I'd say Little Mermaid. For me, I'd say Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Lion King. I would skip mm-hmm. Aladdin. I think yeah. Aladdin's maybe weaker. 
It might I'd, take. I'd go with Andrews. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was thinking Little Mermaid beating the Beast and Lion King. Mm-hmm. But we haven't looked as closely at at Aladdin, and Aladdin, I think, is probably very important for splitting um, the the like quadrant appeal because mm-hmm. they made a, a male protagonist in in the right. third of the Renaissance films to maintain the same basic tone throughout and the musical and everything like that. But then say, it's like, this one's male lead yeah. um, or, or more male led than either of the previous ones. I'm sure I haven't gone back and watched it in again, years and years. And I'm sure there may be more eyebrow raising and like, hmm, maybe we weren't as careful with some uh, stereotypes as maybe we, we could have been with Aladdin. Uh, I think, but I think as a kid, like very just well handled. The, the genie was one of my favorite things ever. As, well, as he, he yeah. definitely, He's, he steals the show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay, back to back Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Yeah, we're, we're focusing back. I mean, we do enjoy talking about yeah. all the Disney films, and we'll Oof. give them all their due. Can we talk about the second money shot? Like I said, we had the money oh, shot yeah. with uh, the behind. Before but, we get into that, so I was noticing something, and I realized I hadn't asked this question, but it's, it's bothered me for a really, really, really long time. Like, probably my whole life. Um, <laughs> because this film's older than I am. Uh, and, and I've watched it since I was very little. Um I think it was it was Joseph uh, and I have a sister who's between our ages. Yeah. I think it was one that got put on for her when I was too little to get a vote. <laughs> right. Um, so Ariel has a green tail. Yeah. And at her hips, it joins to a human portion. Mm-hmm. And there is a lighter green, translucent, stripy frill. frill. What is that? It's a frill. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I don't know, but... Because I don't even... see that in other, like, typical... Depictions of mermaids, like right. what is what is its but nature and texture? Is it her gills? All of her, all all the mermaids have it. Like yes. even the mermen. Yeah. So it's not just like a a, a female. No, it's, it's not like an anatomical anomaly. Right. It's a, it's something about the Disney style for how we're gonna draw mermaids in this film. It's like we are putting this like it looks like a collar. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a it's a skirt I, collar. What my guess is, and this is pure supposition. Um, animating a hard line between the fish fin or scale style to, to, human, to skin. human skin looked weird or was hard to do or just wasn't looking right, and you add something to break it up. Mm-hmm. And which is really subtle. Like that's a, right. a, a very good thing. I mean, Joseph and I both have been like, really big that, into comic books and stuff. Yeah. And like, if you have a superhero that doesn't have some sort of break at their waist, uh, some sort of belt, like you, you got to have some sort. It of It just looks there. real. Yeah. Weird. Um, but, like, imagine, like, a close-up. Like, how do you draw that transition from human skin to fish scale? Mm-hmm. Like, that's... So you put some visual marker of, so here's the line of demarcation. Was, it was, like, a tail collar or frill. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, listeners, if if you have your own opinion, or if you go and if you have someone that you can ask, or <laughs> you go to a Disney park and you ask Ariel and she ha- tells you something... You can go on our Facebook page and uh, which is Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels and post it there. Yes, that is the the place to tell us about things like mermaid frill. <laughs> uh, before we get to the well, this kind of is part of the money shot. Uh, this whole sh- sequence of Ariel being on the rock was animated by Glenn King, who was the main animator for Ariel and several other um several other characters as well. He's sharp. He's 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 got he's got the talent for it. This looks like um 
like this was the demo reel. Like this is what we can do now, guys. Like we're we're throwing down yeah, the gauntlet this as, is... as animators. We're gonna show the world what animation can be. Yeah, this is one of those moments where it's like this is a significantly like crisper, more finished, more effort. Like the strands of hair that are blowing in the wind mm-hmm. and everything. They're like and and the matching her her vocal movements to her her, her lip sounds. Yeah. yeah, her lip movements to the sounds like and it's a it's kind of an interesting and delicate but complex animation shot where they're they're zoomed in and they're zooming out as she yeah. finishes singing. It is kind of odd for them to like just focus on her singing for such a long shot as they zoom out and like you have to get that animation on point to make this work. Like if, if you have an error in that animation, it is going to show very clearly and people will know about it because this is an an essential shot. Yeah, and I don't know how this got used in advertising or anything, but this is like the iconic shot of Little Mermaid is her it's, doing the cobra yoga pose on the rock <laughs> with the the wave breaking behind her. It's it's not necessarily like the first one that I would think of. Um thanks to like the Broadway show and the playbill associated with it and um like our our dvd menu is her sitting on a rock in the moonlight with the fins which, like tough like kind of like her knees are tucked yeah, up against her chest right? which and, and, we kind of get a shot of in tomorrow's minute and i'll talk about it okay, tomorrow but, more but. so that's i'd say that is maybe like the merchandised little mm-hmm. mermaid shot uh, this is probably the shot from the film right that you would take as iconic i think also um her and eric in the boat from kiss the girl would be yeah the the only other thing I can really think of that would be like in contention for the iconic shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say they they merchandise out that moonlit um, silhouette as kind of like we're saying like this is our shorthand silhouette for Little Mermaid. And I think as far as like merchandise and imagery, like there is the critique valid or not about like the objectification that you know she's a teenage girl running around yeah. in a seashell bra <laughs> yeah for the entire movie and the silhouette removes that critique entirely yes. yeah um but and we've talked about it before like the portrayal of her is not it's not titillating yeah you know like she, her proportions are fairly accurate for a, a teenage girl um it's like it just if you with your comic book stuff you've talked about um in the early 60s the x-men like those comics weren't egregious in their use of physical form yeah like it like the the kind of hyper muscular male figures and the hyper sexualized female figures that we associate with comics really came into vogue in the 90s yeah and so this is before that would have even taken place and it's like the internet would kind of lead you to think that this moment is like what a sexual awakening for people it's like it's not it's not as bad as the internet would lead you to believe mm-hmm um, based on a lot of those things. Uh, one last thing I wanted to throw out was I love the small cutaway. I actually really enjoyed this cutaway to Sebastian in a previous uh, portion of the song. I didn't love the cutaways to Sebastian, but I enjoy this one where he says, like, we're not going to talk about this. You won't talk about it. I won't talk about it. I will stay in one piece. <laughs> He's very <laughs> stressed about his well-being. But knowing, like, we've 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 watched some of the the TV series mm-hmm. as well as knowing like Sebastian's character himself. Like, this is, this is uh, not going to work nothing, out. Nothing stays a secret <laughs> for Sebastian. No. He gets wrangled into trouble. And yeah, before I mention my last notes on the actual song, I wanted to mention Max one last time as, okay. cause 
Oh, he, Grimsby, he turns back and he, he turns sees, back. and he looks at Ariel. Because if Grimsby and Eric would just turn around right. while Ariel's singing the song, which they can no doubt hear, they would see her on the rock. That was a strong point. I meant to raise it. I forgot to write it down and I completely forgot it. But yeah, like, like, he's like, what one are you talking about, Eric? And you, she's singing, singing in the, the background. Part of yeah, your world. And really belting at this point. Mm-hmm. Like she's letting this song fly. Yeah. Uh, I've mentioned the Pinterest post of Max and his <laughs> Max's comments. internal monologue. Yes. And there is, as he's in the water and he's staring at Ariel, he looks back at Grimsby and Max, or Grimsby and Eric as they're... I do that too. I have trouble with Max and Eric. <laughs> uh, and he, and he like has his tongue out and he's just so happy. And he says, hey guys, I smell that mermaid again. <laughs> Because he smelled her and spotted her on the boat. Yeah. On the ship. And, and so now he's like, I know there's a mermaid here, guys. And then Grim- Eric, you're in love with the mermaid. <laughs> right. And then Grimsby says, come on, Max. And Max turns around. And as we zoom more over towards Ariel, Max, the, it's the same animation of, of Max in the water. Because he's not moving. He Or he's moving, but he's not. They recycled the animation. He's not moving in the. His, his in, perspective doesn't change. Mm-mm. Oh, so they recycled some animation. Yes, there. it was a subtle one though. It's not not the worst uh, animation recycling that Disney's ever done. Yeah, right. I'm sure you're going to spot some others as you go through this podcast. <laughs> yes, and then the last thing I wanted to note with the fit with this minute, not the film. <laughs> We're already at I'm the out, end. guys. <laughs> Have fun, Andrew. <laughs> With this minute is the, she says, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know that something's starting right now. Watch and you'll see someday I'll be part of your world. How do you think she's planning it? She's planning it. Teenagers are very known for complex foresight and planning. So I'm sure whether or not she's sharing it in this particular, uh, musical interlude i'm sure she has a very detailed plan it is not just a okay wish never, that never is mind. going to become reality actually by the end of this week we'll have actually heard her formulating a plan is that's a bad plan um, <laughs> but she knows that she has a goal and she will plan yes. for this goal so now she has it's more of a statement objective. of of goal than yeah. it's like i have an objective now i'll figure something out yes I will, okay. I will become resourceful in whatever ways I need to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the last thing that has to do with part of your world, because this is the end of this, of, the song. of this song. And it's reprise, which basically had no song between them. Right, right. Uh, it Originally, there was a song called One Dance, where she sang about how she wished she could dance with Eric and be with Eric and everything. But that song was cut and replaced with Part of Your World, and I kind of like it a lot better this way, without having Part heard, of Your World? Yeah. Without having it's a strong song. sing I'm, about dancing. I'm very surprised that Part of Your World was not one of the two I know. nominated. I, like, we I, both I, thought I, that was I, the winner. <laughs> we were like, both predicting the winner. Yeah. Um, Which now I, I, I'm very much guessing that the winner is Under the Sea. But we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. The dancing, I'm guessing, is an allusion to the Hans Christian Andersen um Story. fairy tale or, or short story where her dancing is such a key part her dancing in pain because they, they make dancing part of the, the musical the broadway okay performance i mean this thing deviates pretty 
Intensely at this Intensely, point. yeah, from here on out. Like, up to this point, there's been, a, like, in the story, there's the mermaid. With the shipwreck. The widowed father. The, the yeah, the shipwreck. Uh, the sisters. The sisters. Like, all that's from from there. Uh, the desire to go get legs and be a human. There's the going to be a sea witch. Like, all that, all that's good. Yeah, the the singing being significant, because she is also mute in the short story, I'm pretty sure. Much closer to a Hans Christian Andersen origin than Frozen. <laughs> yes. Which is, what do you mean? Frozen is exactly it, like it, 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 Snow uh, Queen. No. It began by being inspired by the Snow Queen. <laughs> by the end, forgot that no. the Snow Queen was ever a part of this. <laughs> yeah. um, so up to this point, it's been pretty close, and the dancing is a huge, like, motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they must have had that in in, this, in mind, the story and, and development then, process, and then like we can cut that one out because we're not going to make dancing as big. Yeah. That's all we have for you today, listeners. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. Our guest can be found. Uh, I'm on Protagonist Podcast, so you can search for that in your podcatcher app, or you can follow me directly on Twitter by following at Jay Dorowski. Until next time, thank you for making us part of your world. <laughs>